I love the holiday season. See you in spring, Toes! Let's go. Welcome to the Sports Cubicle. It's gonna be more entertaining than the Chicago Bears game today. Well, it'll be less disappointing at the end, right, Paul? Uh, yeah. I don't know what that was, but the Bears played another comical game and, man, almost pulled off the victory on the road against a divisional opponent. Too bad. Uh, Bears blow it. Paul, have you been drinking? No. Okay, it was the Bears. They just suck. Got it. The Bears were bad, but maybe Paul can give us some good news. Yeah, today we talked to Steve Wright, who is debuting his book, Aggressively Human, here all about that later on in the show. And then Mike Mercado and I talk about Carissa Thompson, who apparently hasn't been truthful in her sideline reports. We keep things rolling here on the Sports Cubicle here on WCPT 820 AM and WSBC 1240 AM. It's Paul Shavari. I'm Mike Mercado. And... Oh my goodness, you know it's a glorious day when Paulie has that big old smile on his face. You know he's worked up some evil scheme, something good and delicious for all the listeners here on the Sports Cubicle. Paulie, you outdid yourself today. What do you have for the uh, for all the colleagues here around the cubicle? Well, I was, uh, as I always search for content for this show, I stumbled on uh, a book that's being released, and it's from a former NFL player that played with the Cowboys, the Colts, and my... Raiders. So I definitely had to reach out to him. And as I was researching, I found out that our guest Steve Wright was also on Survivor. And he also invented the uh, cloudburst misting system, uh, which I was able to uh, enjoy in a very hot 1996 Atlanta Olympics. And he joins us today. Steve Wright, thank you for joining the Sports Cubicle. Hey, Paul and Mike. It's my honor. I appreciate you having me there. Um, I, I spent a little time at Deerfield. Uh, in junior high, um, love Chicago. But I noticed you're a, you're a Midwest guy too, uh, uh, St. Louis as well as University of uh, Northern Iowa. So you did spend some time in the Chicago area when you were growing yeah, up. Mo- yeah, most of my time was around the Midwest, Minneapolis a few times. Born in St. Louis, Chicago, up in Deerfield. Yeah, Connecticut. Uh, my father was a salesman, and we were traveling around quite a bit, but. Yeah, mostly in the Midwest, and once I got a taste of of the L.A. weather, I stayed when I when I moved out here in '87 to play for the Raiders and never left. <laughs> I don't blame you for that. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you about your book, Aggressively Human, and it's um, you know discovering humanity in the NFL, reality television, and life, and. Um, you know, I think for the football fan, you get, you know, a lot of uh, some of the treats, the stories of playing in the NFL. But more importantly, um, you know, you're you're approaching a conversation that I think needs to be had nowadays of trying to uh, have, you know, as well as the um, you know aggressive mindset to approaching life, to have the kindness and compassion. Could you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to write this book? Right on, man. It's uh, thank you for for bringing this up. Yeah, my my book uh, kind of just came to be as as I just started writing uh, during the pandemic. Um, had no name for it, didn't have a theme for it. Just started writing. Uh, my my philosophy has always been just take care of what's what's in front of you. I had all these great stories in me, and just like you two do, and everybody else does. I I've been fortunate. I've had quite a few. Um, didn't realize you you were down in Atlanta as well, down at the Olympics. That was uh, that's one of my one of my bigger honors, even over the top of football. I think eleven years of football starting my company there. But the the book came to being by just starting to write, and then as I was writing, I was really realizing that you know looking back at my father, and my grandfather, they were very compassionate, empathetic men that uh, always led with a smile and a handshake and talked to everybody. And that's who I am. And then I had to turn on the beast, um, you know, starting in high school and in sports, if you were going to excel, which every kid wants to do. And um, then it led to scholarship offers and then led to the Cowboys and turning it on and off. And then, you know, the more you see it in society today, there's just, uh, you know, I'm not going to do any politics, but, um, you know, just the the right and the left. And the my, my thing is yin and yang. You got to have both. You got to have toughness. You got to have anger. You got to have be ready to, to, 
um, turn it on and protect yourself. As my wife says, I've got my my spirit animal is the golden retriever, but it's definitely a Rottweiler sitting inside of me that I, I've really learned um, through my Buddhist way of meditating and everything else to keep the beast down. And that's where I'm in a happier place. But yeah, it's just it's the it's the it's the pendulum of, of not being too soft and not being too hard and um, treating everybody as as one which you just don't see that anymore um you know just simply walking through a grocery store everybody's looking at the ground or somebody fighting and arguing and so there's yeah i just kind of felt it was a good time and the, the theme just developed and there there's uh, aggressively human Steve, I am so excited to talk about uh, what we're going to call the better half, Lizzie, in just a little bit, because there's something so commendable about such a uh, a stoic yet compassionate and uh, uh, individual like yourself who's lived a very unique life. And yet you have this other person, your partner, who brings up this other side of you and helps you explore this journey. And before we dive deep into Aggressively Human, part of that is the human side of it, right? You're not just a football player. You're not just a partner. You're not just a son. You're not just a friend. You're all this combined. You're an entrepreneur. You you like watching movies on Sunday morning, all these different things. How hard it, or how long did it take you to develop the idea of knowing when to turn it on, turn it off, the lessons you learned from your grandfather and your father to say, at this moment, I need to be the Rottweiler, but at this moment, I need to be the golden retriever. How long did it take you as a man in, in the society when you were coming up in the league that you played in to develop that habit? Oh, let's see. Um, for sure, simply when you strap your helmet on and you come out of the locker room and you strap your helmet and you walk across the sideline to get onto the practice field, it's full bore. You turn into an animal, no matter if, you know, you've had a death in the family the day before or you're hung over or whatever it is, it's, you know, you just, you, you go from zero to a hundred, just red line. And, but then when you step off the field, yeah, I'm back down to who I am. It was it was actually a, a fairly easy process for me, but it was uh, it was um, living more of the compassionate life. And the more I've uh, been doing this, it just like yeah, like any habit, um, it just develops more. So it's it's almost like one of these things. I think it takes 20 days to break a habit of whatever you know, sugar or cigarettes or something um alcohol or whatever it uh it also feeds on the positive too so the more i found that the more i smiled at people and stuck a hand out to shake hands or just you know help somebody it really began to feed on itself and felt right to me um so it was it was it was an easy process that i think everybody can get to but you got to put an effort into it and be ready for people not to say hello back and roll with it and just keep going and stay on your path. Uh, you mentioned earlier, um, kind of like a, a Buddhist way. Is, is Buddhism something that, that you practice? And, and if so, when did you kind of uh, come across that as kind of a, a religion or a spirituality to, to follow? Yeah. yeah, I was raised in a Christian family. Uh, my parents, uh, Presbyterians, always going to church. I read about this a lot in the book. Um and it just never felt right to me. I, you know, I, I led a big ministry at uh, a church in Orange County, uh, helping the three, five Marines, helping almost a couple thousand Marines and their families. And it was a Christian thing and um, really found that a lot of guys just aren't walking the walk. They're, they're, they're talking the talk, but they're not walking the walk. And Kind of, it just it just never really felt right. It felt great helping the Marines and everything else, but all the volunteers, not all of them, but you know, a good chunk of them, and men's group and everything else, which just kind of bumming my world out. It was just kind of like I was wasting my time, and not that I was looking for God or anything else. I was just looking for something that felt right to my faith. And then I ran across. Uh, I was listening to uh, Buddy's podcast and Sad Guru. Uh, came up and he's a mystic and a guru and uh, a yogi and I really love his ways and I started following that but before that just on Survivor one of the other Survivor mates taught me how to meditate we we're killing you know we're running each other 24 7 so I started meditating quite a bit and I really find that my mornings um, if I can take 10 15 minutes 20 minutes to meditate 
it's it's amazing what it can do for you because you really I set my intention for the day. Okay, I get this meeting with this prick today. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna walk in and he's gonna piss me off, but I'm gonna stay cool and it's gonna be it's gonna be chill and he's not gonna ruin my day. Oh, you're the only one that can make yourself happy and you're the only one that can make yourself pissed. Um, so I I chose to 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 stay cool and um it's just a it's a beautiful way to start the day and it's nothing really heavy but it's just it's i'm responsible for me which i really love i've been responsible for myself all my life for all my advances and falters and everything else i, I like they say you point one finger out you you look you look down you got three fingers pointing back at you it's it's up to me um not knocking any other religions but um i i kind of learned to get off my knees and uh, do something and move myself for it. I was responsible for myself. So um, it, it became a really natural process of uh, just being responsible. Do you find the modern <laughs> athlete that you speak with or the modern business owner, the modern person that's grown up in the social media age, do you find them to be receptive to these kind of life lessons or this life advice, especially somebody like you, who's lived such an interesting journey and all the experiences that you've had, do you find it a little bit easier to reach people in, let's say the, the modern day in the 2020s or back when you were in the locker room, were they more perceptive then? How, how do you feel it's changed in society when it comes to people having an open ear and open mind? Um, it's a good question. I'm I'm not really sure. I kind of learned, I don't know, probably 20 years ago that I'm again, I'm responsible for myself. This this book is not a you should book or it's this is the way to do it. It's the way I do it. Everybody's I've really come to accept that everybody's on a different path. Um and I accept it. And it's uh sort of a great quote of I think a Keanu Reeves saying that uh, you know, if somebody tells him that one plus one equals five, he's gonna say, Right on, man. I believe you. Good job. You know, it's uh I'm I'm not trying to if, if somebody's asking me some questions about it, they're obviously interested. So then I'm going to go down that path, but I'm not going to just talk about sit, go in and start talking about said guru or, or the need for you to meditate. Meditate would really help you. No, but if you come to me and ask me, I'm, I'm, I'd love to sit and rap with you. Polly. I, I saw that your wife, Lizzie was a co-author of this book. Um, you know, just wanted to, find out you know what's uh what's the relationship like you know what sort of uh inspirations did you draw from her uh what did she bring to the to the writing of this book yeah she's a she's a brilliant woman uh woman uh went to harvard uh got her master's at georgetown um i always love to brag about her she had her she wrote her master's thesis on the implementation of nuclear diplomacy uh at georgetown so she's 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 got the bandwidth and when I started writing the book, she was she had left her company and we traveled around the world for nine months. And so we're just joined at the hips. We I just it's amazing. It's both of our second marriage. We get along I mean, just so well. We very rarely have an argument. And if that you know, we're, we're keeping the, the volume down and we listen to each other Um but uh, she wanted to start getting into writing. So we both started watching, uh, you know, how to do it. So we, you know, the master classes they've got, um, we joined, uh, got a membership for the master classes and watched probably at least a dozen um, of the, the writers, Stephen King and so forth. Um, went to some conventions, some book writer conventions and, and just started writing. And then so every night we'd climb into bed about seven o'clock and I'd read to her what I wrote and she would, you know, laugh or, you know, want to edit it or say it was, you know, perfect and just kind of kept plugging along. And we did this for about eight months and all the stories are mine and all the humor and everything, but she really was the glue and put the final spices on it to, to bring it together and really see the theme and see the Rottweiler and golden retriever in me. And like, she likes to say this, this, this might not win any literary uh, awards, but it's uh, it's definitely a fun page turner for any guy. It's behind the scenes um, in the locker rooms. It's uh playboy mansion. It's parties. It's craziness. She wanted it all. She calls this her first pancake. So it's, uh, you know, it's it's not perfect, but it's fun. 
And she's working on another one right now with my old teammate, Todd Marinovich, um, who I'm sure most of the world knows in the football world. And that's, uh, and I was his teammate and hanging with him for a couple of years. And she knows more about him than any uh, sports writer. Uh, you know, a lot of them just kind of piled on and, and wrote a bunch of, you know, heavy crap stuff on them. She's got the inside scoop. So it's, I just can't wait for her second, uh, second pancake to finish. <laughs> either could we and it's it's an exciting meal or a pancake in football terms that you are guys are working on and joining yeah. us as this very special guest and paulie outdid himself we got to give cre credit to raider nation he is steve wright he is the author along with lizzie wright aggressively human discovering humanity in the nfl reality tv and life and steve it's funny uh my wife is currently getting her phd she is an author and teacher i am finishing up a children's book so i just all those memories you when you were speaking about your wife how uh that connection of her being your ultimate editor your ultimate yeah. cheerleader your ultimate coach all of it put together did you what did you ever see yourself uh, no. from playing in the biggest games to you know uh, starting your own entrepreneurship all this other that you would be in bed with your wife talking about a book of the experiences no. you lived in your life no it's beautiful and we, we traveled around the world uh before the pandemic for nine months we we traveled both with a, just a backpack we were, we just turned into minimalists we we both were but we were, we turned into extreme minimalists at time we, don't, we haven't had a tv in five years so it's just, it's a great chance for your brain to, to do other things. Invent, I created a, uh, uh, got a patent. Um, um, you know, it's just, I never thought I'd be writing a book, but now I'm published, uh, you know, a published author. It's, it's just taking one step at a time. And my big theme in my book is, is if there's an open door, charge through it. And you might run into another door and fall flat. Big deal. You know, so it's a, you never know when your life's going to end. And I'm definitely not going to end by saying I could have, would have, should have. Steve, this is uh, great. But now I have to ask the question. We are on the sports show. Do you still watch NFL football? Do you watch college football? Do you still watch Survivor? How how in depth, without the TV for five years, are you it's somewhat, do you get from uh, the second news or whatever? Are you yeah. still uh, in the, do you dab in the stuff that you've done before or once it's conquered, it's over with and you're on to the next adventure? It's, it's it, <laughs> that's exactly right. It's I've kind of moved on. Football has changed and I hate to sound like a, like an old fart, like, you know, football is not the same as it used to be, but it really isn't just as when I played, it wasn't the football of the sixties and the fifties. <clears throat> I think since 2000, they've added 50 new penalties and the guys, you know, they want you bigger, stronger, faster, <clears throat> but like you can't, they they they've got a muzzle on these guys in the harness and and you can't touch and you can't hit like this and you can't grab like that and you know over a hundred commercials and it uh, you know after living football and taking it home and watching films and it just uh, I didn't watch any football for about ten years but then my wife started getting into it and wanted to know about football um, we we sat and we watched some games for probably two or three years but we were both pretty bored with it um i'll keep up with it once in a while online and you know hang out with some buddies we work out monday wednesday and friday and we talk a little football and but i'm uh no it's uh it's kind of once something is over I, i'm i'm pretty it's pretty easy for me to turn the page and kind of keep moving forward um yeah so polly uh, you know, so now now we got to bring it to the football questions. You mentioned one of your first position coaches in the NFL was Mike Ditka, who, of course, you know, very legendary stature here in Chicago. Tell us a little bit what it was like to work under Coach Ditka. Oh, man, I love Mike. Um, you know, I'm a 21 year old punk and there was 120 free agents trying out for the team. And for some reason, he just saw something in me and liked me and it seemed me frustrated, you know, in practice. And I knew I was going to get caught. It was, you know, there was, there was, they had a number one and a number three draft pick that year. Glenn Titansor and uh, Howard Richards was the number one draft pick. So for sure I was, I was out, but I worked so hard and had the right mindset that uh, they kept me. Um, Mike would see that 
you know, I was frustrated and he'd throw an arm around my neck and he'd say, let's go for a walk. This is during practice when I got my helmet on and everybody standing around waiting for their turn. He'd just go for the walk with me. And he'd say, you know, my coach Meyer, coach Myers, the offensive line coach, he's driving you crazy, isn't he? You know, and I was just so frustrated. And I write about this a lot in the book and Mike and quite a few different places, but he just flipped my world upside down. He'd say, Steve, everybody here has got the physical tools. From the shoulders up is going to separate everybody. Deal with it. You're going to get your ass kicked. Learn fast. You know, you're only as good as your last play. And it's just like, wow. And another one, uh, one of the ones that threw me upside down is, hey, you worry if he stops yelling at you. And I was like, whoa. You know, for a 21-year-old kid, my coach is yelling at me. And now, you know, what it, what it would be like if he just – didn't say anything after, you know, a play. It would just know that he's just not looking at me anymore and he's giving up. So he was grinding on me a lot. Um, I think he just, he loved how I, how, how much I was hustling. I was kind of in Superman shape. One of the preseason games, um, the punter, Danny White ran onto the field and yeah, I always count the, the blockers in front of him and there better be 10 and I'm standing there and I'm not on that team and I'm just, all of a sudden, Danny starts freaking out and waving his hands around. I don't know what made me do it, but I'm looking around and nobody's moving. So I just ran onto the field at Texas Stadium, you know, super ballsy. And I ran in and they just point me to a hole to fill. And I blocked my guy and I came off and Dick had grabbed me and just, you know, was just so thankful that they didn't have to call a timeout. You know, just being heads up. and uh, But but Dick, it was, Dick, it was the bomb. Uh, it, that that reminds me of uh, I was reading about Tony Dorsett's record-breaking run and how it seemed like it was a similar story for you where you weren't even supposed to be at right guard on the play, right. not your normal position, right. but you did a guy and you went and I, I watched the play. You had a great block on, uh, <laughs> I did. on the tackle that, that you Let's were defending. Go. I did. It was crazy. I was in for one play in Minneapolis where I grew up and it was just a great, uh, you know, I won't go into this long story, but I'm sitting in the stands uh, four years earlier. I'm in 10th grade. I'm 17 years old, 16 years old. And now here it is four years later, same place. Now there's a dome stadium and Monday night football. And I'm in the huddle with the same guy that caught the Hail Mary, Drew Pearson and Tony Dorsett. And I'm looking around just, you know, about ready to explode into one big goosebump. My family's there with 35 of my neighbors and buddies and, um yeah i was in one play and, and the, it went right into the hall of fame so i don't know i'm a lucky guy yeah i got my block well uh, another coach i wanted to ask you about um you know you were you were there for the first uh season of the first african-american head coach in the league and a hall of famer that played a similar position to you in art shell blocking on the open side what was it like uh having art shell as as your coach and, and what he kind of brought to your career it was beautiful. It was, uh, you know, yeah, like you said, he, he was, you know, grinding on me as an offensive line coach and wanted me, you know, to excel and, you know, working with us. And I love the guy. And, and it's just so awesome how Al Davis, you know, it doesn't matter if you're Indian, Mexican, black, whatever. It's just, and in our locker room, it's just, a, it's a, it's a racial utopia um, where you just don't see that anyplace else outside of the locker room is just you're all brothers there is no color and so to see you know a, a good black dude you know be risen up like that to be given the responsibilities was it was an honor to play underneath him and uh it, it was always you know kind of bugging me before that you just don't see that very much and hopefully it's it's changing but <laughs> that's i take my hat off to uh and and bow to uh, Al Davis and and all the different odd things he would do and push him back against society, um, the norms, just you know to do the right to do the right thing for his team. I mean, it's, I I played for the Cowboys and I played for the Colts, and out of the forty years, the Colts just brought us back for uh, one reunion, and it was you know it was pretty bad, um, just kind of you know sparing expenses for sure. The Raiders, complete opposite. Every year they fly back a couple hundred of us, put us up in the hotel, take care of the flights, all the food, everything else. Once a Raider, always a Raider. 
Um, it's a, it's a, it's a amazing organization. Have you been to Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas and all that since they've moved? I have. I have. And I'm going to go up there. They're bringing me up there to be what's called an ambassador uh, next weekend um, against the Chiefs. And I'm already going to run into a couple guys up there that have got some funny stories of, you know, just bench clearing brawls we we were into. But now, now we're going back and forth on social media, you know, looking forward to seeing each other. And that was a whole nother life. But yeah, I've been to uh, the stadium a couple of times, but this one's going to be up there working a little bit and then uh, schlepping my book around town. I'm going to go hit all the bookstores and I got a couple signing. I got uh, one signing I'm going to be doing with uh, James Harrison from the oh. uh, Steelers. Ooh. Yeah, the Beast. I've never, I've never met the Beast, but I, we were just talking just to, right before we got on. He's scrambling to buy more books. He's he's <laughs> blown through his books, and so yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a lot of fun. And the book is <laughs> Aggressively Human: Discovering Humanity in the NFL, Reality TV, and Life. Steve, we're gonna let you go on one last football one. This has been amazing. I literally, I can do this. I know Paul can do this for four hours. I can do this for about three hours and fifty nine minutes. But uh, let let me put it this way, Steve. Um, best football player you ever saw, whether it was a teammate or somebody you played against. Who is the guy? When I say this was the best player, could be a lineman. Defensive end could be a punter. When you got on the field in the NFL, who was the one guy you saw on the other side? You're like, oh man. Yeah, I, you know, just, can I can I go more than one? Please, uh, absolutely. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I'd, I was in playing against Lawrence Taylor, Reggie White, <laughs> um, Bruce Smith, Neil Smith. Every day in practice, Howie Long. You know, yep. so it. Uh, how we how we made me a so much of a better player, and I go into all that in my book, and also too, just wouldn't like to. And then yeah, Bo Bo was Bo was one dimensional, but he was you know better than anybody in that one dimension, and that's just pure explosive speed that was you know shocking to watch. Any any long runs you see of him, I'm supposed to be out in front of him, and I'm chasing behind him ten yards. You know, he's already blown past where I'm supposed to be going. And um, I'm just looking for fumbles. But I'd like to push my my website, too, my, my author website of writeauthor.com. Everything's on there. And I'm having a, 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 a virtual book release this weekend. Um, all that's on the website as well. And, I, yeah. It's writeauthor.com. You can also check out Aggressively Human Discovering Humanity in the NFL, reality TV, and life if you want to see the hardcover. But please check out the website. Also, check out the signing. This is going to be amazing. We'll be making sure to post everything in which you're doing. And, uh, Steve, before I throw it to Polly to uh, take us home, I want to tell you something right now. I know you don't watch modern NFL, or at least, you know, you it's yeah. through the grapevines and everything. But I'll tell you this much. So much of what you told us today, the weird correlation that Chicago sports fans are going to eat up, talking about Bo and his explosiveness, what it means being one-dimensional, how does it impact the team? Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears are seeing that right now. Talking about Al Davis compared to the McCaskies and Hallis family, how Chicago right. Bears feel about them. What you did, talking about your experiences, you have no idea. Beyond the amazing work you're doing from your business to the book and your NFL career and working with your wife, Bears fans are going to eat this interview up. And I thank you so much, Mr. Wright, for joining us on the show. And Pauly, take us home. Right Great on, job. Mike. Great job, Raider Nation. Shout out. Thank you guys you, got Mike. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> Well, Steve, once again, thanks for coming on to the show. Congratulations on the book release. Congratulations to your wife as well on the book release. And uh, tell her we're looking forward to that Todd Marinovich book that she's working on. Right on, man. Thank, thank you. Appreciate it. We got more thanks coming up next here on the Sports Cubicle. It's Paul Shivari. I'm Mike Mercado. What an amazing guest. Steve Wright. Check out his book. Go to writeauthor.com. Aggressively human. Discovering humanity in the NFL reality TV, and live. Shout out Lizzie and Steve. We got more coming up next. We had hope. Justin Fields was back today. We had hope. We had so much hope. The Bears had the first touchdown of the game. The Bears had the lead going into the fourth quarter and then gave up 17 points in the fourth quarter and had the blew the chance to tie it 
on the very last play of the game with a damn safety. Marvelous. Uh, you, you said you're excited before the show here, and I mean, that might just be some sarcasm, but I mean, the Bears actually looked really good up until the fourth quarter when they just self-destructed here. So it's like, is there really anything to take away positive from this? Like, does this look like there's a Bears team that has potential to, you know, not finish in fourth place in the NFC North? Or is this just more of the Bears that we saw and the Lions woke up in the fourth? The Bears actually looked pretty good. Fields was 16 out of 23 for 169 yards and ran for 104 yards himself. And there was this guy, I forget what his name is. I think it's David Montgomery. <laughs> the guy that did very well for Detroit along with Goff. Goff was 23 out of 35 for 236. And Montgomery got 76 yards and 12 carries. Um, basically, what happened here is that the Bears played a pretty good game. And they uh, obviously, the defense couldn't stop Goff in the fourth quarter. And uh, it is what it is. It's, it's kind of like fulfilling expectations <laughs> in a way because it's like, okay, we're watching this. And we're saying, okay, the Bears are in a pretty good spot, but there's an excellent chance they're still going to lose. And I believe that's what all Chicago is thinking at this point, which is kind of sad. But since we're not going to be in the playoffs, you know, even before this game occurred, I, you know, we've got to get some respect with divisional opponents. We'll have Detroit again at home. But, you know, now this team will be showcased on Monday Night Football against the Vikings next time, next week. So uh, the whole nation will get to see uh, whether or not this Bears team is any good or not. But, you know, they pretty much at, at three and eight. You know, with with six games left, they could they could match last year's performance of three and fourteen. Hopefully not, but uh, you know they they looked like a pretty good team for a while. Uh, but uh, I think in this case, uh, the defense let them down at the end because, uh, as you said, seventeen points were scored, uh, and there and there weren't you know other than the the safety, there were no turnovers and and not that many offensive mistakes that I saw. Uh, what did you see? I saw a game that had the, all the potential. Going into this game, I thought for sure the Bears are going to lose. The Vic the Lions were 7 and 2 going into this. They are the better team. They're going to win the NFC North. That's just a fact. They've been playing great here. But you know, in the before the before the second quarter, Jared Goff threw two interceptions. It's like holy crap. Either we broke Jared Goff or the Bears defense is actually better than people give them credit for. It was exciting going in, marvelous and it's funny where you said, like, most Bears fans were expecting them to blow this. A lot of people, you know, up until that very end, thought this was, they had a chance. Like, the Bears are back. Fields is back. This team is real. This team can contend here. But just they come out at the very end and just self-destruct and implode. And it's like, the thing is, you know, they had, I mean, looking at Jared Goff, he had, you know, uh, 236 yards, two touchdowns, and three interceptions. That's not exactly a good quarterback stat. Yet managed to come out and win this entire game, you know. And you mentioned the numbers of fields here. I mean, I forgot that Khalil Herbert even came back, and he, you know, had a pretty good showing too. But you know, we're just at the point where it's like, what does this team have to do anymore? It's like we have our number one QB. He proved he's better than Tyson Bajan. So all you dumbasses on Twitter saying Bajan would have blown this game, get your heads out of your ass. That is not what would happen. They would have lost even worse with Bajan here. Fields played a hell of a game. And this team, it's just every time it looks like this team has the chance to actually do something marvelous, they let you down. The defense looked great going up until the fourth quarter here. And it's like, you know, I'm sorry, Jared Goff is not the Tim Tebow type. He doesn't come back and win it at the very end all the time here. And let's be real here. It was his running game that really, or his running backs that really helped him out here. That David Montgomery guy, man, Marvin, can you imagine him in a Bears uniform, just how great he would have been? Ugh. <laughs> If only we can imagine yeah, here. And you know, Dante. Oh, right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and of course, we had Dante yep. Foreman, who was playing, who's been playing great in the absence of Cleo Herbert. But you know, he got taken out twice today because he thought he was hurt. It's like, it's just every time this Bears team seems like they have a spark of light or some hope or something to happen, marvelous reality likes to kick in and just crumble them back down. That's what I saw. You're absolutely correct. I mean. uh, I thought that the, there was some really good sparkles on the defense. You had Tremaine Edmonds, uh, T.J. Edwards looked pretty good. They both had a lot of uh, tackles. And you got your first uh, sack of the year with the Bears for Montez Sweat. So up until that last portion of the game, 
the defense looked pretty good too. And like you said, I mean, basically we're down to the fourth running back with Foreman, and he got his 14 yards today. Johnson got 30, and Herbert got 35, and you're absolutely right. I mean, you look at the stats for Goff, he did have three interceptions as opposed to field zero. So I mean, all in all, the stats would, you know, would look like the Bears – had an excellent chance to win this game, but they did not. And uh, again, we say it every week, uh, the Bears are fulfilling expectations. If they keep this up, I mean, this if they keep these numbers up, at least they'll probably be able to beat Minnesota next week. But we're running close to the end of time here, uh, Marvelous. So I'm basically going to ask you, like, what do you think the Bears have to do to, I don't need, I can't, I don't want to say turn the season around because it's pretty much over, but what do you think the Bears are going to have to do moving forward next year to not be the same three and fourteen team they are? <laughs> the funny thing is, is that uh, they seem to have the, the pieces in place that they wanted with DJ Moore, and they still need some help on the defense. But uh, what do they need to do? They they need to win. They don't seem to. They're wow. not a very good closer, even in games where they. They look like they're going to, and whose fault is that? I don't know. Is that coaching? Maybe. Is, is there some holes in the defense? It looked like they they had you know, the, the, the one touchdown. The receiver was all alone, so there was you know confusion on on a on, on the defensive backs there. So, I mean, as individual plays, you can point fingers at people, but all in all, they're uh, they're not a winning ball club, and. Uh, <laughs> and that's that's the bottom line. With this and change in personnel, what are you going to do with the draft picks? I mean, now <clears throat> if Fields continues playing well, you're going to trade the number one pick to a team that needs a quarterback, obviously. And and the, the next pick, I mean, what what do they need? What do they need for the college draft? If, if they get one guy from the college draft, he's not going to turn this team around, even if it was a quarterback. <laughs> so uh, they're going to have to figure out what to do with Fields because. They're going to have the dilemma of, of having the first draft pick who's going to be the quarterback from USC, obviously. So they they can go ahead and and then trade that and get somebody, you know, a veteran player, which would be nice, like a DJ Moore again, somebody like that, and uh, and move on from there. But it doesn't look to me as though this is going to be a playoff team. And in, in this year, obviously, or perhaps next year, and uh, eventually – I think that the blame's going to fall on coaching and management, and uh, that's what usually happens. Even the you know the players play, but eventually, if you lose enough, the coach uh, is the one that goes. So it might be a nice time to shake things up. Maybe even this year, uh, and uh, maybe they should get a coach that's had some head coaching experience. Is what I say, but that's not easy to find. Perhaps we're going to get Ron Rivera watch. And I definitely feel like we definitely need to get rid of the coaching staff is the problem here. I mean, we have Matt Eberflus, you know, who and it shows in the fourth quarter here. This team does not have a defensive coordinator. They have a defensive strategist, air quotes, because Eberflus doesn't believe in one. That's the most BS thing I've ever heard here. Just admit you want to be defensive coordinator. We'll find someone else to be the head coach. Trust me here. And just kind of it, it feels a lot like last year where it's like you're kind of wondering, is this team tanking or are they just that bad? And but the way it was today, it's like, okay, this team had the potential. I'm like, are they trying to get more draft picks? Are they going to just try to get that number one draft pick every year, Marvelous, to keep going here? It's it's a mystery to me, but we're we're just about out of time here. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close you on this, Marvel. I'm going to ask you a question. Yeah. Uh, going into this game, the Bears are predicted to be to win 2.5 2.5 wins after t- with today's game. So, Marvel. Over or under two point five bears. Do you, how many games do you think they're going to win the rest of the season? <laughs> let me let me let me look and see. Uh, I mean, they're not going to be Cleveland. They have Detroit again. Uh, under. I, I agree with under. you. If they get two wins, I'll be happy and finish this out the season at five and twelve. Ugh. Let us know your thoughts. We're on Sports Cubicle TV. Bears lose to the Detroit Lions, thirty-one to twenty-six. They shouldn't have lost by that much, and in all reality, they probably should not have lost at all. For the marvelous one, Dan Marver, the palacious one, Paul Shivari, the one who doesn't have a nickname, Mike Mercado, 
I'm Devin Tingle. And I've said this before, so I haven't been fired for saying it, but I'll say it again. I would make up the report sometimes because, A, the coach wouldn't come out at halftime or it was too late, and I was like, I didn't want to screw up the report. So I was like, I'm just going to make this up because, mm-hmm. first of all, no coach is going to get mad if I say, hey, we need to stop uh, hurting ourselves. We need to be better on third down. We yep. need to stop turning the ball Pressure over. The quarterback. We need, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and do a better job of getting off the field. Like they're not going to correct me on that. Right. So I'm like, it's fine. I'll it, just make up the report. That was Carissa Thompson on Pardon My Take, and this has been a story that has taken storm all over the sports media world, and we're here to break it all down. I'm Mike Mercado. He's Paul Shavar. We're here on the Sports Cubicle on WCPT 820 AM and WSBC 1240 AM. And, Paulie, this is something that you and I found super interesting and it's right up our alley when it comes to inside baseball of the industry and I think Thursday night football coming and going a huge matchup that had huge injuries and huge implications of standings in the AFC North this ended up being the biggest story and what her response was going to be before we get to Polly and your thoughts on this we also want to make sure that we have the fullest story as much as possible this comes to us from Carissa Thompson's Instagram Okay, let's address the elephant in the room. I have a responsibility to myself and my employers to clarify what is being reported. When on a podcast this week, I said I would make up reports early in my career when I worked as a sideline reporter before I transitioned to my current host role. Working in media, I understand how important words are, and I chose the wrong words to describe the situation. I'm sorry. I have never lied about anything or been unethical during my time as a sports broadcaster. In the absence of a coach providing any information that would further my report, I would use information that I learned and saw during the first half to create my report. For example, if a team was 0 for 7 on third down, that would clearly be an area they need to approve on the second half. In these instances, I never attribute anything I said to a player or a coach. I have nothing but respect for silent reporters and for the tireless work they put in behind the scenes and on the field. I'm only appreciative and humble to work alongside some of the best in the business and call them some of my best friends. Again, that was Carissa Thompson's Instagram. A lot there, Paulie. I want to know your instant reactions. You just heard the sound clip from the podcast, and you've seen the reaction since. Your initial thoughts? Uh, I guess she wasn't hired for her integrity. Um, Yeah, I... Honestly, I didn't even really know who she was until I saw this, and I, I only really saw the headline until you played the clip for me. And it's it you know it, it kind of circles back. weren't we talking about this a month or two ago about um, you know peeling back the curtain and you know showing that you know we're not trying to gaslight people, we're not trying to get clicks, we're not trying to and it's it's a very clickbait sort of world. So that's not what she's doing here necessarily, but it's also she has a job to perform and there's millions of women behind her that never get the opportunities that she does and you know and never will get the opportunities that she does but they'll all work harder than her so it's it's an insult to the industry you know and i think it's an insult to people like let's say like Aaron Andrews, right? Like you know, who she's a podcast co-host with. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. they, they and, have and the reason why I bring up Aaron together. Andrews is because you know, like the, the like, let's address the elephant in the room. These women are hired for their physical appearance, as well as what they can do with the microphone and what you know what what they do. But but you wanted to stop. What Polly yeah, is yeah. saying is the the dark truth when we're talking about these producers and executives on Fox, CBS, NBC, and they're building out their team. Yep. There's no accident that your play-by-play guy, your color guy, and your sideline reporter are all beautiful, straight from casting. There's a formula to it. 100%. And and I don't want people to be like, that's so shallow. It's, I don't make the rules. I like, look look at what it is. It's it's like. We're in the industry. We're very uh, tall, dark, and handsome, and white. Yes. Um, You know, and. uh, Which is important, too, to bring up this. That's important, too. Uh And and then when it comes to women, it's, it's always like blonde and tall. You know, and, and, and the reason why I say it's an insult to Aaron Andrews is because Aaron Andrews has proven time and time again that she is very brilliant, very smart, earned her way to the top of the game, despite the fact that she bumped uh, Pam Oliver out of the top spot, you know, in which it seemed like uh, both Pam and Aaron understood the, the situation there with Fox Sports. So so now this calls into the question, um, well, I think it's what Amazon has hired her right now. Is As the, 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 the host yeah. of the pre and that's, that's part of the reason that I probably didn't know her is because I don't watch Thursday Night football you can't force me to like thursday night football and i'm not going to subscribe
subscribe to Amazon just to watch Thursday Night Football, um, especially since most of it is uh, bad despite the matchups, although I didn't see uh, you know this week's game. Uh, I heard Baltimore just destroyed Cincinnati. But though. here's the thing: a lot of injuries in that game, and this is the biggest story. Yeah, and, and that's yeah, and that, this is the biggest story. But it's also it, Thursday night football is a whole another thing oh, that we can talk we'll about. We'll talk about on that as day. we go on. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it, it just really shouldn't even be a thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, if she doesn't get fired for this, then I, there's no integrity at Amazon. You know, and then and it's even even more of the bad that that oozes out of Thursday night football. Paulie, she says it in the clip. I have. I haven't been fired before. I'm not going to get fired now. There's a sense of privilege yeah. that Carissa Thompson has. Now, I wanted to. I want to be watch her play victim after all of and this. And she might. And here's the thing. I think she's actually really good. I've loved her since Sports Nation. I think she's always been very but, charismatic, and she does her job great. In but pre now you and don't know what she's been truthful but about. Th- and though. that's where. And this is where, if you look at some of the greats, some of the greats, Tracy Wolfson, right? Like, uh, I think she's great as a sideline reporter. Like, uh, Laura Oakman. Yeah, uh, Pam Oliver. They all came out and really went against uh, 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 Carissa Thompson. Even, uh, Buster uh, only wasn't Michelle Tafoya the big right winger or whatever. Michelle she was Tafoya. great. She was great in her role. And even she Susie tweeted Culver. out. Um, yeah, I mean, there's been various sideline reporters, and they've all came out against it. Yep. And I think this is what's well, really important to. because it, it puts into their work and how hard it was for them to get into this. Let's not forget, right? It's still women trying to get into the sports world yep. in a job, and then let's take a layer even past that women of color yep so you had and here's the thing about carissa remember when she first got hired she dyed her hair black and wore glasses because she was afraid people wouldn't take her serious mm. for being a blonde woman which is unfortunate that 100%. she felt she needed to do that but then to discredit yourself credit killing is is such a bummer for me but like again you that, talk that about it's definitely an inside thought she should not have shared that and it's how many times have we seen people go on podcasts or I guess in this this respect that's a little bit bigger than a podcast but how many times someone goes on like a non-mainstream channel and says something like this you know like and it's like that's the truth that's that's who they truly are and think about <laughs> how much money paul is going on in sports gambling and if one dollar is bet on by a report done by her or any of these sideline reporters good or bad yeah it all matters this is this is bigger than just my job or this is entertaining from my couch seat yeah this is big this is you can't just be making up stuff and now what if you're one of these coaches if you're mike tomlin you're like i didn't say that why are you putting words in my mouth i mm-hmm. never said x y or z well and the coaches don't have time to, to address that and you know especially because she's talking in generics too you know she's talking in very generics you know it's not like you know she's saying something that's completely false she's just saying something that's like you know that that could probably fall under the umbrella of like yeah a coach would say something like that but but it also further proves that what these sideline reporters are reporting and saying don't really matter unless it's something specific like, oh, so-and-so went down with an injury in the first quarter. Which happened talked in this Thursday night game. Yeah, I talked to the coach. He said that he might be back out in the third quarter or he's still being looked at by the church. But even then, you don't get a lot of that revealed anyway. They're not going to just tell the media straight up like, yeah, we're planning on having him back. Or no, he's out for the game because they don't want the other side to know what's going on. But this is why it's important that these are journalists because they find little things. Or like when Joe Burrow having his wrist in a in one of those slings, mm-hmm. and, but he's not in the injury report. Yeah. Or you stay seeing Mark Andrews, they're like, no, that lip looks like this. There is certain credibility and and sort and resourcefulness for having these sideline reporters, mm-hmm. but it does kill the entire credibility of of what everybody does or the work that they that they have done over these years. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there's going to be punishment because she doesn't do this anymore. She's not a sideline reporter. But She's bigger than sideline. So rep- what is she doing now on Thursday Night Football? She, she, she the host. hosts the yeah. pre and post and has a huge podcast with Aaron Andrews. Like she does it. She does commercials. She does. She's bigger than somebody who could get in trouble for this. I believe. I hope Aaron Andrews at least addresses this on their podcasts. I mean, that I, I, not that it really. The onus is not on Aaron Andrews to really answer to all of this. Right. But at the same time, if you're going to work with someone like this, that's kind of done this to your industry for you know women of your type. Uh, I, I think it needs it needs to be put out there on the table. You know, like why why do you do this? What wh- how truthful have you been? Is it really just one or two times that you've done this? I don't know. I it's to me. I just I've always thought that it was kind of weird that uh, the the formula that they have for the type of women that they use for these sideline reports. It's clearly for the demographic watching the game, uh, the visual aspect of it. 
I, I've never really liked how saturated the media is in the game. Um, though this isn't really related, it kind of relates to it where um, the, the interview during the game, you know, like uh, baseball especially has been uh, problematic with this. It used to be we interview the managers during the game, but it was always like between innings. So it's like, okay, it's not really affecting anything. But then that turned into, we need to talk to the managers during the inning. And it's mm -hmm. like, okay, now you're both affecting each other's jobs because the broadcaster isn't calling the game and the manager's not managing the game. They're doing an in-game interview. Oh, that's that interesting. Yeah, and why well, I, oh, I that's think, you know, and it's like, I mean, it's turned to competition into entertainment. And, and I, I guess I'm okay if everyone's straight up and calling it entertainment, but the problem is, is all of these things were started for the sake of competition, and it turned into entertainment because that's how you can rake in the dollars. So let's just be straight up about it and just say that, like, this is no longer for, for the pride. This is for the money. And if that's the case, I'm cool with it. What, what I'm not cool with is somebody lying in yeah. and then kind of doubling down on it and saying, I kind of got away with it and I continue to get no consequences when there's so many women that are so overqualified to do that job that have given it their all, have been uh, given the glass ceiling and you know, you just kind of have this admission. And I think it would have been fine. Had You want to go simple fix to this? Is instead of saying Mike Tomlin or uh, Bill Belichick told me this, it should be, we weren't able to get word from Bill Belichick. Totally cool. But throughout the week, we were told this, and in the game, it looks like this. Move on. Yeah. Very fast. And here's the thing. Nobody will tell the difference. Yep. But we want to know your thoughts. What do you think about this whole Carissa Thompson thing? Does it matter to you? Do you see the importance of it? What do you think the repercussions will be? We want to know your thoughts. We're on Twitter at Sports Cubicle TV. Make sure you like the video over on YouTube at the Sports Cubicle Sports from the Couch. Of course, check out the SoundCloud over at WCPT 820. He's Paul Shavari. I'm Mike Mercado. That's going to do it for the Sports Cubicle. Thank you for listening. I'm Paul Shavari for Devin Tingle, Mike Mercado, and Dan Marver. We are found on Twitter at Sports Cubicle TV. Of course, you can find us on YouTube. Just search for Sports from the Couch or the Sports Cubicle where you will find all of our interviews and segments there. But you can find the entire show on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash WCPT820, where we have all of the podcasts for WCPT820. Thank you for listening, everybody, and we will see you next week. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving.